Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's guest is Yaro Starek, who's the founder of InboxDone.com. It's an email and calendar management system. Yaro's also an expert startup founder. He's got all sorts of perspective on the startup world and the entrepreneurship space. It's so great having someone like him on the show today, and I think you're going to get so many great insights. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. You know what I love to do on this podcast is bring on guests who can give you the real tangible story of how they've grown their own business, the work that they're doing in their own world of entrepreneurship. You know, there's a lot of fluff out there. If you get on social media, you see all sorts of different takes on what does it mean to grow a business, to start a business, especially if you are a startup founder. What does that real journey look like? Is it easy or is it actually, can it be pretty challenging? We're going to be talking about it today. On today's podcast, we have Yaro Starak, who's on the podcast and he's an investor, he's a digital nomad, he's a six-time author, and most, most importantly, he's the co-founder of InboxDone.com, a revolutionary email management company that a multitude of businesses are using all over, um, uh, really, every, almost every different uh, industry. Um, he's also a, a pioneer in the blogging space. He's also an angel investor. In fact, he's invested in over 25 different technical startups. We're going to be talking about his journey with us today. He's joining us right now. Yaro, it's great to have you here with us. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me, Blake. And I appreciate it. I've never had my business called revolutionary before. So um, <laughs> I've been thinking about that. I guess there is a revolution in, in email, as, as boring as that might sound. But yes, it can be seen as a revolution. But thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And you know, I gave my little spiel. Why don't you tell us your version of who you are and what you're doing on a daily basis? Yeah. So, uh, you know, 20-year online career got, got started in, in the dot-com boom, sort of late 90s. Um, had a website about card game called Magic the Gathering, which crazily enough is still booming and popular today, which kind of blows my mind. Um, you know, a little store there and then uh, launched an, an essay editing company, which is sort of my first, I call it like my first lifestyle business. Um, I was trying to become a digital nomad. So creating an income stream that I could take with me was my first and an ultimate goal. And, and that business, you know, became that. It was a, a digital first business. So I was able to travel with it. And that led me down the path to, to blogging and podcasting. So um, I was too early in some ways with podcasting. I wish I started 10 years later, but I started the podcast in 2005. However, blogging, I was perfectly timed. I was so grateful that I started blogging in 2005 because I got to ride, ride that wave, um, you know, build an audience. Uh, I don't call myself an influencer, but you know, when you have an audience, you sort of by default become <laughs> sure. one, sure. Um, which then led to the opportunity to sell training products and you know, become a coach, which honestly I, I didn't expect to happen. I wasn't in the plan, 
but when people are paying attention to your work, there's obviously an opportunity to do that. And I, I started teaching a couple of courses and sold some some ebooks that I wrote over the years, uh, and all that led to what I you know focus on today, which is my company Inbox Done, um, born out of a need to outsource email all the way back with that very first essay editing company. Actually, my my first lifestyle business. That's the germ of the idea. I didn't really do anything with it other than outsource my own email in every single business I had. And then today, uh, you know, about four or five years ago, we actually decided to see if that was something other people needed and, and launched Inbox Done to help people with email management. So that's kind of like the super short version of a very long story <laughs> of what I've done with business. This is pretty interesting, though. So you you got into the digital world during the dot-com boom. Uh, and then during when the bust happened, you stay engaged with digital, uh, th- which is interesting because you mentioned how you'd go on to start a podcast in 2005, which I, I don't know how many people were actually even listening to podcasts in 2005. You, you've definitely been ahead of the eight ball. Wh- what's the secret to that? Have you just, was it just coincidence? Was it you saw something really special about the digital world? Because I even remember after the year 2000, I mean, even this conversation of websites after the bust happened, and this is still even somewhat the case today, you had plenty of people who were like, well, I don't need a website. Digital is kind of a fad. I don't really see it replacing that in-person, tangible um, uh, element to doing business. What, talk to me a little bit more about this. I'll be honest with you. It's the luck of when I was born, I feel like, <laughs> is, is some somewhat uh, responsible. I mean, I turned 18, becoming an adult. At the same time, the internet was kind of going through its first adulthood with eBay and Amazon becoming, you know, the first kind of big icon companies. And then all the crazy companies that kind of came and went in that time frame. So I was excited about it. Um, but to be fair, I was excited about creating some kind of freedom generation machine more than anything else. So that was always my driver. Before the internet, even you know, as a 15-year-old, I was kind of thinking, what kind of business might I have one day? I had no idea what, but I thought based on what I'd learned, if I wanted to have the kind of freedom that meant no nine-to-five job, no boss, no capped hourly rate, no cap on the potential to make money, that's not a job. That's not a career. That had to be something in entrepreneurship, unless, of course, you you know you get inheritance or win the lottery. You mm. know that's the only way forward, which wasn't my option. It was business or non or bust, basically. So, um, and then that co- coincided with the digital revolution. So, I saw the internet as the place to do business, and then. As I, and to be fair, I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. I'm you know, trying to figure out life as well as business at the same time. <laughs> um, I kind of realized that this is the perfect vehicle for a freedom type yeah. business because of the digital nature. Like the fact that I can sell a digital product or a service that someone else delivers anywhere on the planet I just have the, the skills to reach customers through the internet. So yes, I can build a website. Yes, I can figure out how to get traffic from, from Google or you know through creating content. And then I can sell something and then I can have it delivered by other people and have customer service handled by other people as well by having my email managed. So you know, it was just a case of why not? It makes sense. It's sure. the best platform for doing it. I don't want to be stuck you know, owning a restaurant or owning a bricks and mortar something business. Yeah. Um, it's funny, I used to think back, what would happen if the internet never happened? Uh, what kind of business I would have potentially had? And I think the closest thing I could come up with would have been like a 
some sort of print newsletter or magazine, you know, something content focused, mm. you can distribute it from somewhere and have someone else deliver it. And hopefully you can kind of manage a team, but even then it'd be very hard. You know, you'd be <laughs> on the phone all the time trying to figure out how to get stuff done. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost scary to envision a world without internet. Um, yeah. I mean, my podcast is totally driven by the internet and the guests who come on it. Something you mentioned though, that's pretty interesting. You know, you're, you're this 18, 19 year old and you have this moment of, self-awareness of um, you and how do you fit into this society in, in terms of like the job you do, how you make money. And I'm really intrigued by your, um, your self-awareness of just realizing, okay, my pathway to success, the opportunity is so much greater outside of a nine to five job. And I think this is important to mention because a lot of people who are listening right now, they've had that same moment of self-awareness but for many of us, it's much later in our journey. I mean, for me, it was probably when I hit 30 years old. I have a friend of mine who's 40 and it just sort of clicked for him where he was like, I've made, he's a salesperson and he's, he's like, I've made millions of dollars for so many different businesses. Why haven't I done that for myself? So we're all sort of on this journey of like realizing the opportunity outside of a typical nine to five job, but you picked up on it very quickly. Did you have entrepreneurs in your family? Was this something that it was just somehow naturally intuitive to you? Um, how did you realize this at a, such a young age? You know, it's a tough one to really reflect on and, and be sure about the answer to it. I, I know books were huge. Um, there wasn't a friendship circle or a family member, um, an immediate influence that was uh, responsible for it. I can say that for sure. I felt very much like an outcast. Um, graduating university in particular, I had many moments sort of at 22, 23, when I was trying to make a business become my full-time income source. My friends had graduated and become, you know, career people. They had yeah. a 40000 or $50,000 job. It. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And And that to me was you know, so far off financially, I was barely making maybe 10,000 a year with totally. my business at the time. So I'm like, wow, this is, I feel, I, I, to be honest, you know, I was depressed and also questioning whether it was the right path. Um, I did know ultimately they were still in a career with a nine to five and a boss and, and their income was going to be very much regimented by other people. You know, they didn't get to control it. I have a lot I guess to thank people like Richard Branson for writing, you know, his book at the time, the first half of his kind of biography, um, uh, the two, the two virgin books is two of them now, but the first one was out back then. Uh, certainly the dot com boom and the books that came with it were helpful. Like I read, there was this book, I cannot remember the name. It was quite niche, but it had like 50 stories of tech startups and everything from, you know, your small uh, cat website owner who might be making a million dollars a year from yeah. cat photos all yeah. the way up to like the website that replaced car classifieds in Australia. I grew up in Australia. So they had an interview with that founder who became, you know, a billionaire eventually selling that company. So I was certainly exposed to the concept of entrepreneurship, the concept of digital entrepreneurship. Um, I had a lot of self-doubt, but I do remember actually there's a, a kind of a moment. I still wasn't there financially, but I was around about 24, 25, and I'd 
by then already had three, four or five years running some kind of website. So I was starting to get a feel for it. I'd read more books. I I'd, you know, really started to get a feel for what makes these businesses work. And although I hadn't really had a big success yet, I could now conceptually understand the beginning and the end and the whole process to make something work online from, you know, the idea to the product or service that they sell to the marketing methodology of how they're reaching people, the sales psychology of how they're convincing people to buy through usually using words, um, content basically, and then you know the hiring and growing of a team to then support that company so you can mm-hmm. potentially gain freedom or at least grow something very significant. So when the kind of penny dropped on the structure of how a business worked, that to me was like, I could never go back. The self-doubt kind of mm-hmm. disappeared. It felt like an eventuality eventuality and you know eventually this is going to happen to me i'm not sure when i'm not sure how but i now understand the path to making that happen and and honestly two years later probably about 27 um i by then i started my blog my podcast i actually sold my essay editing company i'd grown to the point where i was you know ready to move on from it um I bought my first house. I bought a new car. It was the first time where I'm like, okay, yeah. now I'm above my friends on the ladder. I can see this is the right path. Not that it was like a competition or anything, but it was a validation <laughs> yeah, for what I was yeah. shooting for. I like I like the the way you frame sort of like that um, entrepreneurial resiliency, like the going through the journey. And because I think we all go through this of, um, you know, on social media, we make entrepreneurship very sexy and very, just very cool. It's awesome. It's awesome to go start your own business. And there's plenty of, of marketers out there who say things like, hey, it's never been easier. And, and that's somewhat true. But I think many of us, once we finally get into the muck of it, and we're in that year one, year two, and for some of us who maybe even left a well-paying job, which was the case for me, I left a really great job to start my own business. And the first year I made no money. I think I lost a lot of money, actually. You know, I think we all sort of have to go through that journey. And um, I just I just appreciate you telling your own that isn't so... Um, it just feels like today, so many people tell a version of a story, which is, yeah, I wanted to start a business and I did. And now I'm a multimillionaire. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we leave out. Yeah. And then our listeners who are in the muck of it as well, who are in that year one, year two, maybe even year three, um, I I feel for them because they are struggling to really go through that journey that you're talking about of sort of finding your footing and gaining um, the image of like what the business house should look like as you're building it. Um, I don't know. So. <laughs> no, you're so right. I mean, it, it is a, now it's a, a, a place where it's full of stories. Like there's so many podcasts, blogs, YouTube channels, just people talking about, business entrepreneurship, selling product services on social media, for example, that you do start to feel like, okay, anyone can do this. Everyone is making a lot of money. And I won't say the word easy. I think we all know it's, it's not easy, but it might seem on the surface uh, easier than it, than it really is. Um, I, when I started, maybe it was a blessing and, and definitely a curse as well. There just weren't as many examples. So I was kind of trying to figure it out myself, but at the same time, I didn't have a whole bunch of people to compare myself to, which may have been in some ways yeah. detrimental because I would have been, I was feeling like I'm failing. At least right. then I was kind of blazing a trail, even if I wasn't sure how successful I was. Do you, I mean, so you, you've been in entrepreneurship for a long time. You've, you've grown multiple businesses. You're an investor in a handful of businesses. 
do you ever find yourself having to, um, especially as an investor, do you ever have to help ground other founders in terms of like what the journey is? Because like I've, I've talked to people who, for example, they're in month six and they're like, oh, the business isn't where it needs to be. And there's this, this real um, intense visceral pain that's part of that. Um, and basically it's naivety, right? I mean, it's people who are expecting like sort of the overnight success, but you know, as you're counseling people and talking to people, like what does that conversation look like? You know, it, it, it's especially as a, a coach and teacher uh, around information marketing. So, I, you know, for a good 10 years, my main business was how to start a blog, write a newsletter and sell your own digital teaching products around any kind of expertise you have, you know, whether it's uh, skincare, losing weight, um, financial trading stocks, uh, you know, whatever it is you're good at, how to turn that into an information publishing business. And possibly because a lot of people decide that career having never been an entrepreneur before, you know, they were really good at skincare, but they were never run a business before, for example. Um, it's a challenge because the expectation, like, like how many times I've been asked this question, when will I make money? Month two, <laughs> month three, month four, like, like, like you know, yeah. the, the, te- the student comes yeah. to the teacher. When, well, because obviously people want to know, yeah. can I realistically be making $5,000 a month in the next three months? And, and more often than not, the answer is no, you, you simply won't. Most business models just don't work that fast. Totally. Um, they take time to build up. So there's definitely some expectation management, especially around that coaching world that I've uh, operated in for many years. Um, and then on the flip side, I guess with angel investing and then just even supporting other people who already have uh, businesses that they're well and truly up and running, I think people underestimate that a lot of stories of the biggest tech companies are these hockey stick growth curves that are very unusual, very difficult to achieve because they're going into industries that are either emerging or they've created the industry itself, like the, the, you know, the first Uber or the first Airbnb. And when those companies get traction, it's like smashing a barrier and opening up suddenly a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar, even trillion dollar marketplace where most of us entrepreneurs we're not doing that. We, mm-hmm. We're meeting a niche need with a niche product or service. Uh, you know, we're trying and understand a business model. Like we're going to get good at e-commerce with Shopify, or we're going to get good with uh, selling services as an agency. Or, or like for a while, I was selling digital information products. So they're all different business models. But ultimately, you have this very narrow customer base. Um, this very narrow potential market size that still might be billions of dollars. But at the end of the day, you know, your growth is probably going from trying to get to a full-time income to trying to get to multiple six figures to multiple seven figures. And even that journey can take 10 years, you know? So uh, there's definitely a range of experiences to plan for. Um, And then the flip side too, when to give up, that is is a challenging question. I don't like the word give up. I should say when to pivot really is the, Mm. the better way of saying that, when to change topics, change business models, change focus, change product, whatever it is. So all that comes into it. Um, but there's, and, and, you know, I know you're probably leading me towards this too. A lot of this ties back into mindset and it's actually the part that I felt was the hardest to teach other people because it's the least sexy part of being an entrepreneur. People don't want to focus on their mindset. They want to focus on selling something. And there's a segment of the population who just doesn't need to worry about mindset. They're great salespeople. They're just hungry. They know, you know, whatever they put their mind to, they're going to make work. But the majority of people, they have all these little demons in their head that are going to tell them, you know, they're not good enough. Right. Um, they, they're not even 
capable of discovering what they need to know in order to make something work. So, you know, there's what you know, what you know you need to know, and then there's what you don't know you need to know. And you kind of have to cross all of those bridges to make a business work. And unfortunately, we tend to jump in, try and do a bunch of things. There's a whole bunch of stuff we don't know, a whole bunch of stuff that we don't know that we don't know. And then we get nowhere because of that. And thus we give up. So, you know, that takes mindset to get over it, to, to realize that entrepreneurship is actually an education and awareness creation experience, uh, not just through study, but through actually practicing the craft of business to then learn, okay, you know what, when I went and opened up that Facebook ads account to sell my product, I just blew $2,000 in three days without making a single sale. Let's learn from that, not let's give up. I'll never make this work. You know, those are two different ways to interpret the event. And that's a common experience for a lot of potentially new entrepreneurs. Well, how does someone gain that self-awareness of realizing, okay, I need to reframe my most natural tendencies for how I look at my own failures, missteps, mistakes? I mean, how does someone get outside of themselves for a moment and realize, okay, I need to mature in my entrepreneurial journey if I'm going to really turn this into something meaningful? And if I could bottle the answer to that question and, <laughs> and make it work every time, you know, oh, I'd, man, yeah. I'd be very rich. It's difficult. I, I think back to my own growth of the mindset aspect and it was painful like uh, there's a lot of impatience i feel especially as a, as a young person i think maybe if we look at it there's impatience in your teens and early 20s and even maybe late 20s and then impatience starts to turn into all the things that we're now responsible to and we have a fear of failing those responsibilities whether it's loved ones family members mortgage you know all the things we start to build up as we get older so switching or becoming an entrepreneur it's not just impatience it's now wow i could you know break everything that i value um, potentially lose my family, all those kinds of things. So there are two big fears that they push us in different ways. Obviously, impatience when you're younger, and that's what I really experienced mostly as an entrepreneur. I didn't have, you know, a lot, there's no dependencies, there's no mortgage when I was 21, 22. All I have was this goal to prove to myself that I could make it work and a strong desire to make, you know, I want to make $1,000 a day. That was kind of like my first initial financial goal. Uh, so I was really trying to make that happen. But when nothing was happening, the the mindset that required telling myself to slow down, to experiment and learn from each process, to try and fill the gaps of what I didn't understand, but I needed to understand, to maybe find the mentor, um, maybe as an educational resource or even just more experiments, which is more often than not the case. It's just I haven't spent enough time experimenting. And that starts to open up some doors to new awareness. So for me, it was really a 10-year, like I call it a decade-long mindset uh, awareness expansion experience as a human being, not just as an entrepreneur. You know, it, it goes back to everything you do in life, whether it's, you know, reframing, uh, using like uh, neuro-linguistic programming or positivity training just to look at things in a positive light instead of a negative light to treat the process through curiosity rather than a framework of desperation. Like if this doesn't work, I'm going to fail mm -hmm. rather instead it's, Oh, I wonder if this will work. Let's see what happens and learn from that. Simple tweaks to how you interpret events, but very important ones to kind of make part of your, your old structure as an entrepreneur and in terms of your mindset. So that was huge. And then I think, you know, if I took it to the other side, when you're a bit older and you do have this situation where you've got these dependencies and these responsibilities, you have to kind of change. And, and maybe you went through this yourself. Like there, there was a part of you that says, I need to have a plan B because I do need to feel at least 
emotionally comfortable that I'm not burning the bridges. There's a job I can go back to. There's savings in the bank. I'm telling myself I have a runway, a runway of two years to make something happen. Whatever it might be, there's a foundation in place. You're not quite as reckless as you might have been when you're, you're 20 <laughs> years old. So there's ways to you know build your mindset and build sure. structures in place to support yourself. But um, you know it's not quick. None of it is quick. You know, and you're talking about this journey that is um, a lot longer. I mean, you even said like a 10-year journey of self-development. And I've heard other people on the podcast who've said something similar. They've even said like, hey, you know, your entrepreneurial journey, it's a, be ready for that 10-year game, which is framed a bit differently than I mentioned before how social media often gets, this journey gets portrayed, which is, um, you know, how to start your business and, you know, make $10,000 a week in 90 days, like things like this that really sometimes put us on the, on the wrong foot forward. You made a comment earlier that I think is interesting. You talked about the difference between um, being part of that long journey. You know, I'm in year two, I'm in year three, and maybe even realizing the need to pivot. Help me understand, because I've even had this question asked to me before. What's the difference between, and let's say I'm in year three of my business and it's, it hasn't really hit its stride. What's the difference between realizing, okay, I'm doing the right things, but we just have, it just hasn't clicked yet and realizing this just isn't working and I need to pivot to something else. Because it feels like that differentiating that is hard sometimes. Mm. It is. I don't think there's ever a hard and fast answer of when to pivot. Um, some of it's a gut check. I think a lot of people make that choice ultimately, but on an emotional basis rather than a rational, logical basis. I think that is the first part to check. Uh, it is the logical, rational side. Before you make the emotional gut decision, you have to look at the numbers. And one of the things I often uh, tell some of the students I've had who are growing an information publishing business is to make this decision by first asking yourself, how many people did you reach with something, whether you know it was an offer of a freebie just to grow an email list, or it was your first coaching offer, your first service, whatever it was. Uh, and, and it applies to any business, whether it was your first product, um, could be e-commerce, uh, whatever, it could be anything really. Uh, how many people actually were exposed to what you were selling? Because if you haven't really you know, it could be 10 people and then you're feeling like it's not working. Well, it's 10 people is, you know, your conversion rate on a, an offer might be 1%. 1 1% of 10 people is one tenth of a person in, in talking about a hundred percent. So of course you haven't made a sale yet. You know, you need to talk to 10, 10 times more people as a bare minimum to even make one sale or even get, you know, a certain amount of traction, whether it's email opt-ins or visitors to a website. So that to me is, I was the first thing to check. Are you experimenting enough? Are you reaching enough people? Are you marketing enough? It, it, it is a bit cliche, but um, more often than not, people who are new entrepreneurs spend a lot of their time thinking about the idea, uh, you know, kind of be, stay in that phase of research where you might be studying your market. You know, you're, you're doing things that are helpful. You're, you're asking people questions, you're reading forums, Facebook groups, you're checking the competition, what's currently selling. Uh, you're kind of reflecting back, maybe doing a customer avatar experiment when you write down what's their demographics, what are their problems, what's motivating them. All helpful things, all things I've taught people to do, 
But if you're not actually going to the next step, which is saying, here is something for you, do you want it? And seeing what the reaction is and putting that in front of thousands of people, not 10, not 100, but thousands to start gauging real feedback. That's when you actually have the data you need to make that decision about whether you're getting somewhere. So, you know, that might mean you have to run an ad campaign. Like if you have money to spend on advertising, it's a blessing and a curse because you can instantly reach an audience, but chances are you're going to go out there with your weakest ever offer because you're not going to be a natural born copywriter. So you don't know how to sell with words. Um, you haven't had any experience with a customer base. So you don't really understand what are the emotional drives that are, are pushing people to make a purchase. Um, so hopefully you can make small experiments with your money, knowing that you expect the first two or three times you do this won't work. But then, you know, you, you let's say you've got $2,000 to spend, you, you know, you're only going to waste 300. Uh, and that's going to give you a lot of data, but then you can actually start tweaking and improving over time. So if you then can say to yourself, yeah, all right, I really did test an offer. I went out there to market. I reached a few thousand people um, and the response wasn't great. Then you can start thinking, hmm, okay, pivot. I can give you a tangible example. I'm actually doing some private coaching with uh, a guy named uh, Pete right now. Uh, and he's at the phase where he's a guy in his 30s who is very experienced. He's had a career. Uh, he does know a, a fair amount about a certain topic. He's even had customers in that space. He's just never had a coaching teaching business. He's never. He wants to sell a course, basically, uh, and build an information marketing business. So it is kind of like launching a new business. It's something he's never sold before. And figuring out what he's selling has been a challenge. He, he thought he was going to go to his existing audience, which is not a huge audience. He's got several thousand people following him on social, a small email list and so on. And he's gone to that audience and started to do a little bit of initial querying. And he's realizing, you know what? This audience is not what I thought it was. It's not going to be the starting point for my business. I need to pivot and potentially go and build an entire new audience. But at least now I know right. it's around a different topic and it's the one that I feel actually resonates more strongly with people. So you start to turn in that direction um, early days. So I can't really say much more than that, but even just going to his existing audience and putting something in front of them and finding out this is not the people I want to work with, nor do they want specifically what I'm selling has helped him to kind of realize much sooner than he might otherwise realize to, to pivot and, and change his focus. And that's a blessing to be able to have that kind of decision-making quickly because he has an audience to go to and, and ask the question. Um, and I'll just tie that in too, because I think this is important. I benefit from having an audience. I, I made that choice, as I told you in my story, around 2005 to start a blog and a podcast. That meant I grew an email list, basically a, a community of people who pay attention to me. Now, since 2005, all the way up to my most recent business in Bunks Done, launched in around 2017, any idea, any new business experiment I wanted to do, instant audience feedback was available. I could send an email to my newsletter and basically say, I'm thinking of building this product or I'm thinking of rolling out this service. Who would be interested in buying it? You know, a version of that. And in fact, my, my current company, Inbox Done, we did that. So, you know, talk about a decision about pivot or go after something. I had this idea. We could offer email management services to people, but hey, we don't know if, we, what would they pay for it? What's the pricing model? Do they even want it? Can we even deliver it? Will people let us into their inboxes to reply to their emails for them? Big question. 
So we went to my database, uh, myself and my co-founder, and, and asked that question, you know, would you like the people who manage my email, Yara's email, to manage your email in your business? We had about five people show interest, two became our first customers. You know, we figured out the pricing model. We figured out how to service them, servicing that new, new customer base. After, you know, several months, those two initial customers were happy. We learned about pricing and delivery. Mm -hmm. We were confident enough to move forward. Now, if no one said yes, or if servicing those first two people showed that there just wasn't a profit margin, it you know, wasn't going to work with that model, that would have been my feedback mechanism to say, okay, we need to either change this, not do it at all, pivot, tweak it. You know, I, I would have basically used the feedback I had to make that choice. So that was so powerful because that that was there for me to tap into. So I'm a huge fan of building audiences as an entrepreneur. Uh, it just gives you that flexibility, that feedback mechanism. If I didn't have that, I had this idea, but I would have had to go on, okay, I'm going to have to either pay for ads or do some mm -hmm. kind of you know outreach to hopefully get people to promote it. I'm not even sure if it works yet. So I'd be kind of wasting money or burning bridges to test an idea. Um, and that's that's why having an audience has been such a, a powerful thing for me. I love how you frame just sort of the the iterative process of the business journey. Because I, I, I know from my own business, and I've had this conversation with a few people on you know, your business in year three, what does it look like compared to the first day you started your business? And for many of us, it's the offerings totally different. How we talk about it's totally different because we've let that customer feedback loop really shape the design of the business. I want to ask you about how, how does someone become comfortable and eager to really get out there and get that customer feedback. Because I think, I think in a vacuum, a lot of us are like, oh yeah, totally. We got to ask our customers. But like tangibly, it feels like many of us are resistant to this. In fact, there's a really great book in the startup world called Passing the Mom Test. And the whole premise of it is if you want to get feedback for your business, stop asking your mom what she thinks about your business. Because that's often what we do is we go to like our loved ones, we go to our best friends and they're like, oh, you're amazing. I let Everyone's going to buy it. I even had somebody who he was, he was starting a business that was designed for um, empty nester uh, moms, like in their fifties. And he said, you know, what do you think? Is this a great idea? And I was like, Scott, what, what part of me makes you think that I am the person qualified to tell you if this is a good or, you know, do I look like a single, you know, I, I don't know. It was just funny, but that's what we do. And in fact, I had someone else who was like, Hey, I'm trying to get feedback for my business, but I don't necessarily want to have to go out and ask people about it because I don't, I'm afraid of what they might tell me. Um, and we even have business people who say when they get negative feedback, they say, oh, well, they must've just not gotten it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. So how do I, as the aspiring business owner, get great at seeking out feedback, parsing it, um, you know, really nurturing those feedback loops and maybe even getting over myself to let the customers drive the business? It's a long question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's an important one. Uh, you know, I actually think most people, when they really do what you're talking about, actually go out and solicit feedback, find out that it sucks. It's like the worst part of um, starting a business. Uh, I had a, a guest on my podcast, um, Bryant. He, Bryant, he, he has a lawn care, kind of like an Uber for lawn care business. And over and over again during the interview, he said the first five years were hell. They were hell. He said, like, no one should do business. It's the worst thing ever. Um, you know, he talked about basic things like going door to door, 
to find out we're not i mean you're ultimately finding out whether people want this service but you're actually telling them this company exists here it is i think that's a kind of clever answer or hack to this idea of uh, figuring out and asking people getting that research done the best way to do that is to actually launch your business and start offering what you sell in some way um in fact my for example my essay editing company i didn't really do research in the sense that I studied the market. I saw the problem as a student myself. I was uh, working with um, group assignments and I had a few students who were coming from English as a second language background. Their academic writing wasn't great. They often came with a lot of financial support from their parents. So it seemed like a good target market. They had a need, they had the money to pay for something that might help them. So that was my assumption, but to actually test, I built a website quickly, you know, it was like a two-day website, um, just here's the service we sell. And then I started putting up posters and I called that the research. So I went to my local university campus and the two other universities in my hometown and put up posters offering uh, this service and a link to my website. And that was great because it's like asking the question, will people pay money? Uh, will they they sent me an email to ask me about the service. Uh, and then, and, and the crazy thing is, the first time I ever sold these kind of services, I didn't even have a supplier yet. I knew if someone said, I want to buy something from you, I'll go and find the contractor to actually deliver the service. So it was a very minimal viable test. That to me is research. And I think that's the way to think about this. Test your business idea. Uh, Brian, who I was mentioning with his lawn care business, same story, door to door. Uh, would you, you know, need access to to lawn care if you could just have an app and, you know, here's the link to the website where you can sign up, look for a lawnmower person, and the way you go. Um, you know, that was slow door knocking, you know, putting little flyers on door handles over and over. But that's research. You know, that's you're, you're learning whether people want something by actually asking. Here it is. You can buy it now. So I think that's the way to think about it. Um, if you're doing any other kind of research, then you're probably not really getting deep enough and you're not asking the most important questions. You're just kind of doing surface level. So sure, asking friends and family, um, even things like running surveys, uh, jumping into Facebook groups, forums, all of this is helpful. But n during that process, you're never actually asking people to take out their their credit card or you know their wallet and pay for something. And that is the question as an entrepreneur you need to ask. And mm. I, I don't know about you, Blake, you probably listen to a lot of podcasts as a podcaster. The number of times I hear entrepreneurial stories, even the biggest uh, businesses, take a DoorDash, you know, recently floated on the stock market, multi-billion dollar valuation. Their first kind of iteration of this service is like, let's go to a restaurant and see if they need delivery. And then let's go to the local area and put up some flyers and we will be the DoorDash's version 1.0 and see if there's a business model here. And it, it was, and obviously they scale and expand from there, but that answers the question, will people pay for delivery provided by a third party service across a range of restaurants? And, and you grow from that point. So that's the answer. Um, if you, and here's the hard part or why, you know, it's a big question. If you don't like that, and if you don't push yourself to actually go out there and sell something, as brutal as this may sound, but you may not be meant to be an entrepreneur. Like every one of us who has succeeded has pushed ourselves to market and sell something because that's the only way we get a customer. That's the only way we make money. So whether it's desperation, passion, desire, 
simply the way you're, you're wired, your genetics, uh, there has to be something that pushes you through that pain, that discomfort, that annoying day in, day out need to sell something. Um, there has to be, I mean, I, even my current business inbox done, I spend, I'm the marketing manager of the company, the CMO. So my entire, entire day is like, how do we reach people and speaking to people to get them to become customers? That's pretty much all I do. And I've been doing it for four or five years just to grow you know, the business you have to. And I think that's I think that's a challenge for all of us to be honest enough with ourselves to answer that question you're talking about. Is it is am I really meant to be an entrepreneur? And I I I think sometimes coming to terms with that answer, you have to be okay with understanding that if you're not meant to be an entrepreneur, it doesn't mean that you're you're lacking some like innovative quality. It's just I think a lot of times the businesses that we want to start is simply not what customers want. Like I remember I talked to a guy who had been working on a business for a couple of years and he sold uh, like these leather armbands that were like covered in rhinestones or like bedazzled. And he's like, yeah, no one wants to buy it. I don't know what the deal is. And I was like, have you considered no one wants it? <laughs> he was like, no, they're great. I love them. I'm like, yeah, you love it. But you know, I don't have any like Nickelback fans are like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> So I think coming to terms with that is something that is important for all of us. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's especially interesting. You mentioned this earlier, this sense of um, timing and luck. I think a lot of times we don't like to appreciate that so much because it feels out of our control. But like you said, you know, you started a podcast in, in 2005 and blogging in the early 2000s, which are now both of those things are so um, synonymous with how do you be successful in a digital world? Is it is it hard for you not to have a chip on your shoulder or to be like, you know, yeah, I started it first. I mean, I don't know. It seems like that would be the temptation. I mean, as in why, like I, I missed out on something or... I, no, I mean, do you, do you just feel like... Um, you know, I don't know. Do you feel like, I guess as other people are, even like the podcasting world, people are, it's, it's grown up even just in this last year. Um, as in they grew big and I started so much earlier than them and, and they have a much bigger show, like that kind of no, I was shoulder, actually or? saying I was actually saying chip on shoulder in the sense of how do you avoid letting um, ego be top of mind for you? Because I would assume that since you did this, these things so early, it'd be easy to be like, I figured this out. I've got this thing nailed. I mean, I totally get the blogging world, the pot, which I'm sure, you know, your expertise is enormous, but, um, and even tying it back to customer feedback, I would assume because you've been in the business so long, it, it would, there would even be a temptation to think you already know what customers think, um, whether it's true or not. And obviously I'm projecting onto you. I don't know how, how true any of this is, but, um, yeah, just, I, I, I see what you're saying. I, 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 I have always have, or maybe not always, but certainly in the last sort of, after I achieved some level of success, I became very clear on the fact that expertise and effort are two very different things. Um, effort is what's actually required to make something work. Expertise <laughs> is nice to have, but okay. it doesn't really matter without some kind of you know implementation. So I always respect the hustle. I respect the people who are, are pushing every day and building something. Um, so it doesn't matter. Uh, plus, let's add to the fact that it's a constantly changing digital landscape that my expertise is completely dated in some levels because, <laughs> you know, I was good at something in 2005. I still benefit from being an early adopter of certain tools, blogging in particular. Um, but 
someone could start a podcast today and do so much better than me because they're just hungry and they just study the market where I'm like, I, I just don't have the hunger to go back and study something <laughs> that, you know, I was studying sure. 10, 15 years ago. So, um, and that's the beauty of the internet. It, like I have lost track. Uh, it's crazy. Cause I remember this before I was a, uh, like a blogger, podcaster type person, there were these waves that would hit and I'd be, I felt like I'd always miss it. It was like, Oh, I missed the dot com bubble. I could have got all this venture capital and, and, you know, been rich even without having a product or idea. I just, just a website domain name would have done it. Speaking of which I, I should have bought domain names. You know, there's another way if I was an early adopter of buying certain dot coms, they would be worth heaps. Now, um, fast forward, you know, you, you get the first kind of wave, which was blogging. Then there was uh, podcasting. Although really it started then, but it didn't really take off until much later. Um, YouTube hit. So there was an opportunity to be successful on YouTube and ride that wave, although you could say that's still happening now. Uh, then Facebook hit. So social media was an option and Twitter. And then, you know, more recently it's in Snapchat and TikTok. So there's always a technology or a platform that emerges and there's a chance to be an early adopter. And especially as a person who operated in the online course space, it was so obvious because what would happen, you'd have a year or two when a platform was new, take YouTube, everyone was learning it and using it. And then one or two people would say, hey, I'm the YouTube expert, buy my course on how to grow your audience on YouTube. And because they were the first people doing it, they really were experimenting early. They rode that wave a little bit. They were able to go out there and, and really be first to market, first to, first to face brand. And if they consistently grew that positioning, they would dominate and do really well. And then, of course, a new platform would arrive. And now I, I am now the TikTok dominant expert. Of course, everything, you know, it's easy to say this too, when the internet was simply smaller as well. Mm -hmm. Now, every platform, we, we, talk, we count in billions. Like, I always laugh because... The first blogger I ever looked up to, I was uh, his. R, it was RSS subscribers back then was the number we cared about. So, kind of like you know, downloads of a podcast or views of your your social media video. RSS subscribers was it for a while, and this person I followed had I think about six thousand subscribers to his RSS feed, and I was just getting started with my blog, and I had like 200, 300. and that was you know the aspirational number. Now, 6,000, 9,000 would be considered zero almost. You know, you need to be having hundreds of thousands to millions to even billions of views for some people on YouTube, right? Uh, to actually call yourself a top level uh, person in that space. So the numbers have gotten bigger. The, there's many more platforms. But I guarantee you, there will be another platform in the next six months that's brand new that will take off and there'll be an opportunity to ride that wave and become, you know, the next expert. So... Uh, and that's a beautiful thing about innovation. And I, I think it's it's a it's it's pointing towards the optimism of um, I think a lot of times it's easy for us as entrepreneurs to say, oh, I missed it, you know, I missed my chance, and realizing that technology is always innovating. Um, it's funny enough thinking about course creation. My wife, this would have been about a decade ago. My wife had said, you know, hey, we should really jump into this thing where like you. It basically, she was describing course creation to me and uh, selling courses. And I remember looking at her, I remember where I was in my house and I remember looking at her saying, honey, no one's ever going to pay for that. It's, <laughs> it, no one's ever going to buy that. And funny enough, it's a, it's a massive industry today, um, but there's always the next thing. And uh, so 
Yaro, it's it's a total crime. We're actually out of time. It's a total crime that I did not ask more about inboxdone.com. <laughs> I'm sure it's the whole reason you came on the podcast was to talk about your business. You've given so many incredible insights. Why don't you go and tell me in the audience, um, how could someone best use Inbox Done and what do you want to leave them with about the business? Yeah, I, I appreciate the time to talk about it. The uh, it's funny, like telling all these stories. Obviously, I've, I've had a long entrepreneurial career, but one thing that's been consistent and is perhaps a bigger opportunity than anything else is being a company that provides the tools and the support services to everyone else. Like we all we all know that. Yes, it's nice to be the TikTok star, but it's better to own the agency or the software that services all the TikTok stars because you know you can really have a much bigger result. You're not dependent on you know you being the the star, the content creator, the influencer, the personal brand. So, Inbox Done, my current company is is very much built in that kind of mindset where everyone has email, everyone is successful, gets too much email. Uh, everyone who is that at that level of success will end up spending more time, uh, hours a day, often two hours in the morning, two hours at lunch, two hours in the evening, uh, just doing their email. And my life and certainly my entrepreneurial career has been about simplification, being a digital nomad. It's always about creating a system that my business will run without me as much as possible. So for me, one of the very first important things to get handled was email. And that's the same, I think, for most entrepreneurs. So Inbox Done was created to help make other entrepreneurs' lives more simple by simply taking over this core function, replying to your emails, managing your email, you know, managing, managing your calendar and your schedule, managing everything that enters your inbox and triggers a task or an activity or a communication. So you don't have to be the person writing back and forth. You don't have to be the person providing the resource link that's been asked for. So it's essentially an email assistant, virtual assistant, or two or three, however you need, step in and, and they become part of your team. So uh, it's one of the, I think the ultimate freedom creation devices is to step out of email and get someone to kind of like do that task for you. And that's what we do. And that's what we've been doing for about four or five years now. So, you know, if anyone's listening, just head to inboxdone.com. You can book a discovery call there. Um, you actually get to talk to me. I am the discovery golf person at the moment. And uh, hopefully we can help you, you know, break free from, from email and all the associated tasks that, that come with it and simplify your life. Yara, it's been great having you on the podcast today. And I so appreciate you sharing. Thanks for having me, Blake. Hey, for our listeners, I'm going to put the link to inboxdone.com down in the description below. And like Yara mentioned, if you want to jump on there and check out booking a discovery call, you can find out how awesome this website is and how it can help you and your business. Hey, don't forget, if you are enjoying the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button, click the follow button so that you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. We're going to keep bringing you awesome guests like Yaro straight to your car, to your house, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. We want to bring you great content straight to you. And also don't forget, if you love the podcast, you want to support the podcast, you can jump on our Patreon at patreon.com slash good advice. Also, if you want to uh, advertise your business on the podcast, uh, get your business mentioned in the introduction of the podcast. Again, you can go to our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash good advice. That's all we got for you today. Thanks for checking out our good advice. We'll catch you later.